it's time for a more in-depth look at today's news. It's time to find out who's pulling the strings. It's time for the Behind the Curtain podcast with your host, author Jeff Reynolds. Hey everybody, just a quick note. I meant to get this episode out last week, but I encountered audio difficulties and then I traveled to CPAC, so my travel schedule didn't allow me to publish this episode. Going forward, we will continue to publish every Wednesday. Thanks for your patience and understanding. Please forgive the less than stellar audio, but we did the best we could. I wanted to publish this anyway because it's a very important episode. So, thanks for checking out this week's Behind the Curtain podcast with Jeff Reynolds. This episode is packed with all kinds of extra content. This week, my first guest is my longtime friend, conservative activist, and stand-up comedian Stephen Cruiser. He's written a couple of books, Straight Out of Feelings and Don't Let the Hippies Shower. Both are available on Amazon. Stephen and I discuss his religious conundrum, what he's got coming up in stand-up, and how he left the conservative activist movement without regret. This is a must-listen. If you're not following Stephen on Twitter, you're doing it wrong, but just in case, his handle is at Stephen Cruiser, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-K-R-U-I-S-E-R. This also marks the first week in which bonus material is available. For a low monthly fee, if you subscribe to my Patreon account, you'll find an extra full hour of me and Cruiser riffing on politics. Subscribers get access to this kind of exclusive material and many other features. Check it out at patreon.com slash behind the curtain with Jeff Reynolds. My second guest is Justin Brecht, who is a political analyst for the Oregon Republican Senate Caucus. We talk about how horrible everything is in Salem, how cap-and-trade is going to ruin the world, how Republicans can fight back, and how he became a local hero. Follow him on Twitter at J-U-S-T-I-N subscore B-R-E-C-H-T. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast wherever you listen to it, and if you like it, give me a positive rating. The more subscribers and the better ratings I get, the higher Behind the Curtain will rank on podcast services like iTunes and Google Podcasts, among many others. Also, buy my book. It's called Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires and Their Campaign to Undermine Democracy. Search for it in stores or online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Simon & Schuster. It's available in hardback, Kindle, or Nook now. with Jeff Reynolds. I'm joined today by my special guest who has been a uh, an activist, a stand-up comedian, an author. He uh, asked me to read his Twitter bio, which is comedian, writer, dad, contributor at pjmedia.com and the American Spectator, recovering political activist, Roman Catholic, and he says he's just here for the cultural appropriation. Welcome in, Stephen Cruiser. Thanks for being here. Thank you for taking giving purpose to my day (laughs) (laughs) so uh i met you a long long time ago you know medium uh in the in the modern twitter era it was a long time ago that's right that's right it was uh one of the first times i I met you was at cpac but then uh, subsequently you were at a uh um, uh, uh, an event being held by Freedom Works up here in uh, Oregon, and at that time you were a pretty heavy-duty Republican activist, uh, conservative activist, and uh, doing doing stand-up as well as uh, trying to save the world and trying to 
uh, or bring the Republican Party back to fiscal conservatism and, and all of the Tea Party ideals that we kind of uh, got involved in. So at this point, what is the status of your activism career? I would say, as I actually did get paid for it for a while, I would say that I'm retired. <laughs> I was what most people didn't know um, was that my activism career pretty much began when my stand-up career began, but I just kept them very far apart for a couple of decades. Right, right. Because yeah. as as most people know, being a conservative in the entertainment industry isn't the most friendly environment. Right. Um, right. Although I was never underground, everybody knew about me. They just didn't know how involved in politics I was. Yeah, but yeah. I worked on my first campaign in 1984. Wow. Okay. So yeah. was that the Reagan re-election? It was that year, but I was working on a congressional campaign here in Tucson. I was working on uh, Jim Colby's first election. He had run two years earlier and narrowly, narrowly lost. And then his was the only Reagan coattails election, I think, anywhere in the country that went deep into the next day before we found out a winner. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, we were all thinking like, oh, let's get this over with. But he, he barely eked out a victory. But then he stayed there for quite a while. He kept winning until he decided to retire. Oh, interesting. Okay. So um, so you've been a dedicated conservative for uh, most of your life, right? If not all. And uh, I never had I never had a wandering liberal phase when I was young. Yeah, yeah. Ever, ever. I suppose I, I, I was I was in I was never liberal, but I was kind of in the wilderness for a while. But uh, yeah, the Tea Party was what got me reactivated and, and ready to, you know, kind of try to save the world. But uh, so um, that that's gotta be, you know, that's that's a, sort of a defining part of your life, right? I mean how, how does that feel knowing that that's kind of that you've left that behind well it's a twofold answer there and the first part that's important is that i'm you know i, I moved back a year ago today i moved from los angeles back to my hometown tucson where i hadn't lived for over two two decades um i've been in la for 22 years at that point i think and uh a lot of that had to do with trying to you know the desert's really good for creativity so i'm trying to spark a creative resurgence which has worked i've been writing all kinds of stuff for the last year and i'm working on a lot of new stand-up material and i'm constantly working on material because i so i needed to shake something up for that so the focus is on that which is positive the other thing is is i just felt especially after the tea party era that i'd done all i could possibly do um and it, it was just, it was time for other people. I used to say in the beginning of the Tea Party era that if it didn't translate into like the nuts and bolts mundane political activism that's necessary, then it meant nothing. Well, that's what most Tea Party people who came into the fold back then are doing now. They're, you know, they're doing nuts and bolts, you know, they're knocking on doors or, you know, making phone calls. So that got done. I did my time there and I don't feel any regret like when you asked me the other night if i was going to cpac i just kind of like laughed i went yeah i can't imagine why i would want to go to cpac <laughs> um, i want to i want to see everybody but i don't want to see everybody badly enough to do it in a political context right right i got a book to hawk so that's why i'm going back but uh, <laughs> but yeah you know, it's, it, it'll be nice to drink with uh, all our old buddies again too so um, that's that's really the reason, right? Well, now you're all going to have to pick up the slack for me, so, but I'm pretty sure you and Steve Green can handle that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I can do. 
<laughs> so, um, so uh, what 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 was it that I mean? Was there any particular event that uh, caused you to say I'm done, or uh, was it, I know you wrote the book straight out of feelings uh, about the 2016 election? Was it that election that kind of made you say? Enough is enough, or yeah, but in a but, yeah, but in a good way. That's what the whole book's about. The book, I decided to make the book format kind of like a retroactive political feelings journal because I was doing an interview in early 2017 on KBC Radio with my buddy John Phillips and um and his co-host um, Jillian Barbary was asking me a bunch of questions about doesn't this bother you about the new administration? Doesn't this bother you? Doesn't this bother you? And I go, nothing bothers me now. <laughs> <laughs> and I was and I was being honest. And then John, John and I had done a lot of work at the now defunct PJTV leading up to the election. Yeah. Um, so we we knew each other well politically, and we were friends. And he just interjected. He said, at some point during last year's insane election, when everybody was losing their minds, Cruiser achieved this zen-like state of calm that was really weird to watch. <laughs> and I hadn't even thought of that yet. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're right, I did. <laughs> and so I decided to write about it. And what happened was that I think that that election, people just lost their freaking minds so much. I was like, hey, you know, I've got better things to do. I had a kid who was just getting started in college. Um, I had material to work on. I had personal stuff to work through and I just kind of detached myself and started watching it like a kid would look at an ant farm almost <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, am I'm amused by it, but this isn't really moving me emotionally one way or another anymore. And that's what happened. And the process of writing that book, which is one of the reasons I moved back here last year was a big revelation. I was like, okay, this is like, I'm, I'm at peace with all of this now. You know, it's interesting, too, because uh, right around the same time, I remember reading your uh, series of articles at PJ Media about the um, the religious kind of quandary you found yourself in. Talk a little bit about that. Was it kind of the same thing, or were they not related? How, how did that come up? The timing was the same thing. 2017 was the worst year of my life, personally. That's a lot of the stand-up stuff I'm working on now, because it's better if I deal with it in a joke fashion. Right. Because right. then that way I don't lose my freaking mind. Yep. Um, but... It was. It started off as uh, professionally annoying because I began. I mean, you'll know who. But we're not going to mention names because they're still in existence and everything. But I became. I became the weekend editor for a conservative site, and right. I hated everything about that job. <laughs> hated it. Hated. It. I don't like being management. I'm a lone wolf. I don't like editing. It's tedious. I didn't. They had a strict. I hated everything. So the first half of that year was dominated by me hating that job right right and uh and then uh and then i had a personal event happen in the summer of 2017 and that kind of kicked off the faith crisis which was weird for me because much like i never had a wandering liberal phase when i was young i never had a wandering away from the catholic church phase in my life either Right. I'd never, I'd like, you know, even when I left high school, I was still going to mass all the time. When I first went on the road, first thing I would ask a club owner when I got there was where the closest Catholic church was. So I've always been a practicing Catholic and I've had a good faith. It's not just like I'm one, and I'm not one of the Catholics who goes through the motions. I used to like go on retreat at a monastery because I thought I wanted to be a priest. Um, so I suddenly, I had this personal thing hit and, uh, you know, which is, been the source for a lot of jokes right now, and you guys are all going to get to enjoy them someday in the near future. Um, for that. <laughs> uh, and 
then all of a sudden my my faith it was just weird like it wasn't there um it was and i was really taken aback by that and everyone i knew said well this happens to everybody and i said it doesn't happen to me right <laughs> i'm x number of years old right now it's never happened to me so don't tell me it happens to everybody i said this is rattling me because you know if i'd gone through like a 10-year wandering in the wilderness phase when i was young and then come back to the church i'd like eh, i'd shrug it off yeah that's normal See, but it was such an integral part of my life my faith was my prayer life my every it was just and then i wake up one day and i struggled i was like i don't know what to do with this and so, I, so what did you do with it what i did with it i started writing about it um i'm a catholic and my best friend made the obvious suggestion that i hadn't thought about yet he said you talk to a priest <laughs> <laughs> and i was very involved in my parish for 20 years and the priest there i knew well you know right. so i went and talked to the one i knew the best and we had a great conversation and he recommended a few things to read. I mean, I didn't walk out of there, you know, just my faith restored, but he gave me a couple ideas. And then the other thing I decided to do, which I wrote about, and I think the second installment of that trilogy I did last year or the year before, mm -hmm. um, I just availed myself of the fact that Roman Catholicism is a ritual laden religion too. And I right. just kept going through the, I'd go to mass, I'd go to confession, I'd go, you know, I'd do all the Catholic things and I would just keep doing them so I could remain tethered to the church somehow. And I so felt you, a little, I, go ahead. I was just going to say, did you feel like, yeah, did you have faith that you would have faith again, basically? You, you, no, not at all. Not at all. I couldn't even stand to sit in mass at the time. I wow. felt I would have like the heebie-jeebies sitting in mass. Really? I felt like a hypocrite. I was going like, I'm wasting my time. I don't know what I'm... It was a struggle. And then when I moved here, I moved into my dad's old property so we could wrap up his estate and sell it and everything. Yep. And I knew this, but I wasn't really thinking about it. His house is 500 feet away from a Catholic church. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so the whole making sure I got the church thing got easier. Right. <laughs> I, mean, right. I, I mean, I can leave here with three minutes before mass starts and still be early. Because right. <laughs> um, it's that close. <laughs> still got a good seat. And uh, so I just, I kept going to mass. I kept going through everything and I kept praying. And then it all started to click again. And uh, it, it was, well, a lot of people pointed out the obvious, which I wasn't thinking clearly about at the time. I said, well, you know, God hasn't gone anywhere. It's just you've kind of turned away. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? He's not the, he's not the fallible one you are. But, but that's one of those things that just sounds like intellectual theological blah blah when you're not feeling it you know well sure it's, it's like thoughts and prayers right you know it's, yeah, it's yeah, just it's the like, thing you say in that circumstance yeah i get you're trying to be helpful but that doesn't really you know i you say i've turned away from them but i can't like physically turn back and go oh there you are <laughs> <laughs> i didn't see you standing there <laughs> well you're a sneaky one aren't you mr omniscient i'm, I'm omnipotent omniscient i'm i'm present too he's like right. i mean if you're the the present, how come i haven't seen you <laughs> god would be the worst ever player of hide and seek right yeah because he's ever so so yeah, but then it just, it started to feel good. And I was going to write a lengthy post about how it resolved itself, but I wanted to give it time to make sure it actually had. 
So I actually maybe made very belatedly. I don't think it's belatedly though. I, I don't think you know the first day I felt that I should have written a post going, "Hey, he's back." You know, <laughs> I better. I should have. And you know, it, there's been some. There have been some up and downs in the last year, but I've been trying all kinds of things. I mean, they they do a lot of Latin masses at this church up the street, and I've even been going to those. Oh which wow, is odd. That's dedication. Yeah, it's a little too old school for me. I like I like it, but it's not going to be my thing. Right. So yeah, that was that was a lengthy odyssey, and it's just everything the political thing, the personal thing, they all just happened to coincide in 2016. Said 2017, I mean, that by the end of the year, I wanted to really. I uh, I was talking to our old friend Kurt Schlichter. Oh yeah, um, I was spending New Year's Eve 2017 with him. And his lovely wife Irina. Yes. And be much I better half of the couple. It would be yes. It had, and it had been such a crap year. I just looked at them and I said, "Look, I don't know what I can do, but all I know is that in 2018, I am going to overhaul and change every aspect of my life that I know I can have control of to make sure I'm never in this position again." Well, and so what does it? What does that entail so far? That's entailed. Um, a return to some dedicated writing, which has been, I've been blocked for the last couple of weeks, but for the most part, it's been pretty good. I f- finished the book last year. I updated the older book, um, republished that. Um, I'm working on like three new projects right now, one of which would, will probably be done under a pen name. Um, so it's, it, but it was like, okay, I'm back in the desert and the desert is great. It just strips everything away from you. You know, it's not like I'm going to go look at, I was sitting out there in the hot sun in the summertime outside writing every morning. Wow. And so that's, and, but a big part of it was the, was the disconnection from politics. I mean, you know, I still blog right, for two right. conservative sites, yeah. so I have to read politics all day long. Right. But it doesn't, it, it doesn't move me emotionally at all anymore. It's, I just like, okay, it's, again, it's, it's a very clinical process. It's almost like I'm, you know, working in a medical research lab and just watching the rats, you know, <laughs> or the mice. It's, it's well, just weird. Yeah. You know, and I, I went through the same sort of thing, uh, not, not as intensely, but like, you know, after, especially after 2012, when uh, Obama got reelected, I'm like, oh my yeah. God, really? I mean, I, I mean, I'm yeah, like, that's out. yeah, I've been bleeding over this election for, you know, however long. And, uh, and they reelected him anyway. So, like at that point, I was like, "Okay, look, I, I can't do the outrage thing anymore." You know, I, I just can't live my life at eleven like that. You know, it, it just I, I. So I had to. I had to dial back the emotions. I had to dial back the uh, involvement. You know, although that's if you ask my wife, it's uh, <laughs> uh, not not necessarily dialed back from her perspective, but. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I just couldn't invest myself emotionally in it. I had to be clinical and cold about it because it, it would swallow you up otherwise. Yeah, and outrage is really something that's better for the left anyway because that's their end game all the time. I had someone ask me about this recently, and I, and I mentioned what I said about the Tea Party movement where I was from the very beginning. You know, And I don't know, for your listeners who don't know, I co-founded the first Los Angeles Tea Party. Right. So I'm like Tea Party AF, as the kids like to say. <laughs> um, I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm OG Tea Party, whatever. <laughs> so, um, and, and from the very beginning, I had, 
I had a podcast then and every, every, almost every podcast, I would say, look, this, if the rallies are nice, it's nice hanging out with everybody, but that means nothing. That doesn't get people elected. Right. It's, right. The, it's the boring stuff of politics that gets people elected. It's working phone banks. And that's why I like, you know, like AFP, bless their hearts. They, you know, they stopped paying people like me to fly around and speak, which was sad because the money was nice. <laughs> but, but they, but they do your face on a jumbotron anymore. <laughs> no, but they take, but now they, uh, you know, they, they take the grassroots people out and teach people how to do the nuts and bolts of political campaigning, right. how to, you know, they, they bring a bunch of cell phones and give them scripts and teach them how to phone bank and they teach them how to, and they organized uh, house to house knocking on door walks and things. So it's, it's, that's good. And I don't need to do that. So it, it hasn't bugged me at all because I know that there are people out there doing it, but it's not outrage. It's, you know, you're going to see different versions of Occupy Wall Street on the left for the next umpteen years because their end game is always just the outrage. Right. So yeah. I don't think it. I don't think it plays well for us. I I I think Antifa is the uh, the ultimate expression of the the Democratic Party. Right. I mean, it's uh, all they're doing is going around and and rioting and acting like children. Yeah. Um, it's you know we don't like this, so we want to change the Constitution. We don't like this. I mean, you know. Okay, people can say all they want about Steve Bannon, but he made a couple of good documentaries, you know. <laughs> and, and I, I think, what is it? Is it Occupied Unmasked? Is that the one he did? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Where he like he, you know, traces the Occupy movement all the way back to its roots in the '60s radicalism. Right. Right. And how it's just this ongoing legacy. And I remember when he was filming it, we uh. All right, the garbage truck is outside. It could get noisy here for a oh, second. Boy. All right. Um, he, uh, it, we were at that, I forget what it was. It was BlogCon Charlotte, I think. Okay, okay. In the spring of whatever. 2012. And, uh, in 2012, and he was yep. still filming it then. Okay. And uh, he was explaining the whole thing to me. We started talking, and he walked me through the entire thing. <laughs> And but it was fascinating because I was going like, yeah, that's kind of the way I've always been on this. This is just this is what they do. They don't yeah. want to really change anything. They want to create a lot of unrest and then look for an opportunity amid the unrest to maybe take over one day. But they're not yeah. interested in actually actually facilitating change. Exactly. And then uh, if I may uh, uh, throw in a plug for my book here, because uh, it's, it's actually germane to the conversation that, uh, you know, that's what I wrote about is connecting the dots between uh, all of this stuff that's been going on, at least since the 70s, you go back to, you know, Drummond Pike and the uh, Tides Foundation and how he created the, the donor directed uh, funding where you can actually donate to a 501c3 and tell that c3 where to give all the money, you know, and then uh, that you remain anonymous and you get a tax break out of it. Yeah. So, but you know, there's, there's all these, all these other foundations and all these uh, radicals from the sixties that are part of this movement and have created this thing, you know, and it, it, it's just a one long unbroken chain from, uh, you know, the late fifties, early sixties on. So, yes, I, it's, it's, and, and it's good because they, they're they very good at it's All you got to do is gin up the young people to do this. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know any better. They never... do is get the young kids mad. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, because they, they've never actually experienced anything or had to, to own a business or anything. So 
they're they're fresh and and they're uh, and they they don't trust old people anyway, so they're probably going to be mad and, and uh, easy to gin up, right? Yeah, um, and it's you, you see it right now with all of the socialism stuff where you've got again it's the cliche is everybody talks about the fact that these kids are whining about capitalism on their iPhones, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> from the pricey universities and things like that yeah. and the, you know the bitter irony being there that you know all of the academics who preach socialism are making $120,000 a year <laughs> to have their TAs do their work for them <laughs> um, and <laughs> so it, it's it's but it's just so easy to like yeah life's unfair life's unfair because okay let's now sit for point in books the first book I wrote called don't let the hippie shower right really talks about that it talks about you know just indoctrinating kids to believe to if, if you, you know we just raised a generation of kids that really never dealt with consequences i mean they don't keep scoring soccer they don't you know what i mean <laughs> early on they're not you know I'm, i played on my first little league team when i was six we kept score yeah <laughs> absolutely we kept score pitchers had to pitch there was no tea <laughs> Um, six years old that's kind of rough yeah <laughs> well actually we had some pretty decent pitchers i mean you had you didn't have a choice then wow so you know we, you raise a consequence-free generation and it's easy to make them think everything's unfair right well and, because and they believe on, that they're owed something exactly exactly and we're working on a couple of generations like that and you know so that's that's why i don't i don't know if we're going to get through to this this generation right because uh it's it's been uh several generations now where uh, taboos have been relaxed. Our, our standards have been relaxed. We don't expect as much from people. Uh, you know, so uh, why why would you rise to expectations if there aren't any? Well, I have I have a little perspective, and I don't know how much it applies. I know it applies to me, but because um, <laughs> I have a, well, I have a daughter, I have a daughter who's a junior in college right now. Right, right. And you know, there's you know, what you read about college students online and social media, and you start to think that they're all like that. Yep. And one day last year, I think, her sophomore year, she goes to a small Catholic college in New York, too. So it's not like it's a huge campus. Um, there was a protest going on at her school that just seemed ridiculous. And I read about it on several different social media sites. Um, it was just it seemed like it was a big deal. And I brought it up with her. She hadn't even heard of it. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, she's like, she's like, Dad, you just, you can't believe all of that. She's like, she's every, she said, every time they have one of those protests here, it's like thirty kids. <laughs> it's not it's the same thirty kids. <laughs> and and she's not, you know, I got her out of Santa Monica being a mostly a libertarian, which I consider a win. But you know, she's gone to college and she's been in New York, so she's get drifted a little leftward. So it's not like she's super conservative or anything but she just said you know we're not all like that right and i said well that's good to know i mean it, she's different she has consequences she's an athlete so well that's, she's, a, that's a fair point yeah she's yeah, got a she's, lot more accountability and, yeah and well she and she's a runner so it's you know it's her and the clock you know yeah. the clock doesn't lie <laughs> you can't you can't pretend your time or you can't there's no mercy rule in running right, right. you know so she has she's in a she's a in a very exacting sport but so that might have something to do with the fact that she's more comfortable with consequences because right. she's she's a competitive athlete still but it's also good to know that there are a lot of competitive athletes in the ranks of college america and you know they're not all you know i just keep clean with the fact that she said they're not all like that and i believe her <laughs> well that's that's good to know because uh 
as you know, I'm right here in uh, blue Portland, Oregon, and I can tell you that most of them are like that here. So <laughs> uh, maybe they're raising them different somewhere else. Uh, yeah, it's well, she, you know, as I said, she grew up in Santa Monica and went to a high school that was mostly entertainment industry people. Right, and right. So it was, I, and I never indoctrinated her. I figured the kids are going to go, you know, the last thing you want to do is give your kids a ton of stuff to rebel against, you know? Exactly. <laughs> I just, you know, I would you know, make the communication good. I kept the communication lines open. We talk about politics now. She's 20, so she thinks she knows everything. Of course. Uh, and. You know, and she's like, and I'm her dad, so she doesn't care how politically involved I am or, right. Right now, or how many times I've been on TV. She's just like, oh, it's dad. Um, <laughs> last time I was in New York, I was doing Tom Shalou's Fox radio show, and I brought her down to Fox News with me. And I said, come on, it's not going to give you cooties. And, like, <laughs> and she got to meet Dana Perino. So there I said, go. see? I said, there's, I said, you like politics? I go, there's... Just, Press secretary is as politics as you can get. Um, oh yeah. Who and, and also an absolutely lovely human being. Yes, um, that uh, I have heard that. I've never met her in person, but I've heard that uh, repeatedly that she's couldn't be nicer. Yeah, she's uh, just. I mean, I first got to do red eye with her and uh, right before that Charlotte thing that week. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and that was the first time I met her. And I was just like, okay, she's like, you know, there's no artifice here. She's like, right. she's a person. Like, she's like the way the way she is on TV is the way she is in person. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and it's funny because you know she and Greg Gutfeld have developed this huge friendship. And one of my favorite things at the beginning of the five was that Dana really didn't know how to deal with Greg at first. <laughs> um, <laughs> who does though, right? <laughs> they would, they would, they would. They would um, she would, they would always seat her next to him and he'd go out and start talking like Greg and she, her eyes would just get huge and she'd be staring at him like, what is he doing? And I was kind of like, I don't know if she's ever going to get used to, the, used to him, but then they became like best friends. Yeah, well, they, you know, coming from press secretary, she was under George Bush, right? So, yes. uh, yeah, that's, that's a little bit different environment than what Greg's laying down. Yeah. yeah Greg's, <laughs> Greg's, Greg's take on things is fun. Yeah, um, and it comes yeah. through on the TV too. Yeah, well, and he's you know he's like really really smart. He reads a ton. His but he's just he he forever plays the goofball. Um, even though he's probably the most well versed on the topic of anyone in the room. Right. I mean, he he stuff he knows he knows more about anthropogenic climate change than anyone <laughs> I think I've ever talked to. <laughs> Well, that's that's a good thing because uh, there aren't too many people that actually know anything about it. So yeah, so it's yeah, he's a great guy. Um, but I don't know how we got. Oh, my daughter. That's what we're talking about. So I'm sticking with I'm sticking with that version of you know you can't just write everybody off. And I felt and then I felt kind of stupid. Like okay, no one making blanket judgments based on Twitter. No, I you can't do that about people. Right. <laughs> yeah, talk about Twitter. I mean, it, it's pretty much ruined American discourse, hasn't it? And I would blame cable news before I blame anything else. Um, okay. Well, because the cable news model is outraged. You can't, you need people yelling over each other. You need, you know, that's the entire empire that CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News were built on. And ESPN. Um, 
Well, now ESPN. ESPN used to be fun. ESPN. I when I first went on Facebook, I listed Sports Center and ESPN as my favorite things on television because they were then. Right back then. Yeah, that was a while before ago. before they became political shows. But um, the the model on cable. I mean, you go watch CNN right now. Um, they'll do a panel with four people, and they'll all be of the same ideological persuasion. It's almost always a complete anti-Trump fest and everything. And they're still yelling over each other. Right. <laughs> no, I'm not anti-Trump. No, I am. You can't do a 10-minute segment with four panelists. It's ridiculous. Right. Nobody gets anything. I mean, the, the Laughlin group is hard enough to follow, yeah. and that's a half an hour. <laughs> and so this is what it is, then, is everybody starts to yell over each other because they know they don't have time to get in their points. So I blame cable news first, but social media hasn't, helped at all because you know if you look at it um i don't do anything political on snapchat so my i mean not snapchat instagram it's my instagram feed is fun i don't do anything political i don't follow most of my political friends on snapchat i follow you and like three others maybe well, um, I appreciate that. but i don't I, I i don't do anything political there but facebook i rarely do anything political that's mostly to brag about my kid but you look on facebook and it's just maudlin Everybody's either sick or mad about politics. That's all anybody does on Facebook to post. I'm like, yeah, my kid ran a race. That's what I'm doing. Well, then, um, then they all get mad. You know, oh, all, all of this is politics. Show me your puppy pictures or your kitty pictures. And yeah. Then that's, you know, a day and a half. So that's a, in that discourse, I don't like it all. And I never have because you, the dumb people get an open forum to express as much as they want. <laughs> At least Twitter has it built in so that the stupid people have to keep it to a minimum number of care, a maximum number of characters now. Right. Um, so there's a lot more ignorant pontification on Facebook than there is anywhere else. It's a fair point because it's a wide open forum, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I, like, if if it's fascinating, if you want to go find the largest collection of ill-informed human beings on the planet. Um, <laughs> It's like a, it's like a zoo of stupidity over there. Uh, but Twitter has some very erudite people, both on the right and the left. Still, um, I don't. I, the thing about Twitter that I don't get when everybody complains about Twitter wearing them down and being so negative, you can curate whatever you want to see on Twitter. That you don't have to true, see. Yes. You don't have to see any of. So stop whining. <laughs> like, get TweetDeck. It's free. You know, and then you get a column of you know all sports feeds if you want. All this. I mean, I've got two that cover the news, print and online, and you know news sites and everything because I need them for blogging. You know, but I on the weekends, you know what I do? I close those columns, Jeff. <laughs> I don't look at them. <laughs> and, 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 It'll reappear until Monday morning. <laughs> and and then you don't. And you also don't turn on CNN. I okay. This my dirty little secret, which I never used to say when Red Eye was still on, and I would go on Red Eye a lot. Um, my dirty little secret is that I've never been a consumer of cable news. <laughs> Neither have I. I, I. I have never watched the nightly news because even when I was in high school, it felt like uh, emotional manipulation to me. You know, I just didn't, I didn't want to have that in my life. I never. I, it's, I think it's hilarious whenever 
some liberal wants to argue with me online and they default to I get all my information from Fox News. I'm like, dude, you have no <laughs> like, idea. You're so far off. You're right. like, like, I freaking like, like I subscribe to the New Yorker. I'm one of the few conservatives who does that. Don't wow. don't try to get me. Don't try to get me pigeonhole me. Oh no, the New Yorker still. I mean, but I, it's like stuff like that. I'm like my my the variety of my reading material is probably unparalleled um <laughs> so i've never been a big consumer of cable news but what i do is saturdays i will look at the news a little bit and maybe blog but i try to come up with something on saturday to write about that isn't politically related yeah um but sunday i shut it all down and this has been a practice of mine for several years even before i reached this new point politically um I just decided I just don't want politics around on Sunday. I mean, it's, you know, go to church. I used to like watching football. Then they started sticking politics in that. Right. Um, I used to get really mad at people, even on our side, who had to make a political point while, you know, we're talking about football or baseball. And then I would generally just say, well, I don't do that, so you're blocked and get rid of them. <laughs> um, so it's, and it's like, there are times every once in a while when, I'll, one of my friends will say something politically online and I'm kind of in the mood to respond to it, but it's Sunday. So I don't, right. I don't, I mean, you know, two Sundays ago, I forget there was something going on. I don't know if the Smollett case was starting to escalate or something that day. I think it was maybe about a week and a half ago. That's when everything really started to hit the fan for him. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. About that. yeah, yeah. yeah so I think there was a lot of stuff I wanted to say about that. And then I just didn't, I, I backed off and I said, no. And then this Sunday it was really heating up and I just, I went to church and then I said, you know what? I'm day drinking. <laughs> I, I'm not, and I had an absolutely lovely Sunday. I went, ate, ate some Mexican food, broke my diet, went to the library for a while, went to another place and enjoyed some beer and let everybody else fight about politics. Right. But I think if you unplug at least one day a week, it's very, very refreshing and helpful. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I do. I have a, several uh, rituals that I, not rituals, but uh, 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 practices that I uh, unplug with. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll do some uh, housework since I work from home I, you know, and nobody else is going to clean it around here. So, uh, you know, I'll do some yard work. I'll go for a walk. Uh, you know, just, just unplug, just kind of refresh and recharge the batteries, you know, and then not be too cliche about it. But, you know, that's you, you have to break away and uh, uh, just disconnect yourself from the machine well yeah and even for me now where i'm not really that emotionally worked up about anything anymore it's still helpful one day a week to just disconnect and i know like i'm in that no man's land right now where there's really no sports for me on sunday at right. the moment um and you know i'm a university of arizona fan so we're having our down year in basketball because of what the fbi pulled last year but we'll be back <laughs> next year sure. so i'm not even worked up about u of a basketball right now i'm just waiting for spring training to finish <laughs> it's <not> got a while <laughs> right yeah, um, just started so i've got but i now i'm you know what the hell i'm gonna go out i go to church in the morning um i got you know i'm here with my old friends and i just make sure it's the one day i think i just deliberately kind of stay away from twitter um and unless i'm out you know if i'm out in public i'll tweet from my phone because you're not seeing everything then but, you know, again, if, if you don't like what you're seeing on Twitter, that's on you. <laughs> that's, you can fix that. Yep. It's, it's, it's really, really simple. So I really, I, I, you're never going to find me, uh, oh, you're never going to find me doing one of those posts that opens Twitter. 
sees everybody arguing about such and such <laughs> closes twitter okay well you are you're an emotional weakling and you are an even worse human being for even tweeting that you stupid little <laughs> virtue signaling uh, you go on twitter to tell everybody you're not going to be on twitter okay you are you maybe worse than hitler okay <laughs> I'm going to go on Twitter to show everybody how above the fray I am by not going on Twitter. Right. I'm going to leave yeah. Twitter and like, oh, just shut up with the virtue signaling. It's Stop. like when you, you announce uh, loudly that you're leaving a Facebook group, and Just go away. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, so, um, it, it, yeah, I mean, fix that. Especially if you're conservative. If you're, if you're conservative, stop blaming other people. Stop blaming circumstances. Stop blaming... Be conservative again, okay? Right. Take Being responsibility. Yeah. Take responsibility for what you're doing. Yep. Okay. It's it's because it, you're if you're not you're not a conservative. If you're sitting there, well, my mood is subject to the whim of faceless strangers on a social media platform that didn't exist 15 years ago. <laughs> I mean, okay. Well, then you need therapy. You don't need a computer. <laughs> You need a good therapist. You don't need just like your average. So you need to go work on what it is inside of you that makes you that vulnerable to everybody else. Because there are a lot of people mad about a lot of things. And people get mad at me and I don't care. I'm like, okay, well, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, believe it or not, we've uh, blown way past the half hour point at this point. So um, I'm going to wrap it up. But I want to invite all the listeners to... Uh, join us on my Patreon account, and we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, but there will be an extra bonus sec section of this interview with Stephen Cruiser, where I'm going to talk to him about um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. I'm going to talk to him about Jess, uh, 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 Jesse Smollett and um, whatever else kind of uh, comes to mind. We have a lot of things that we've uh, left uh, untied here. So, uh, Stephen, I want to thank you for uh, joining me on this version of the Behind the Curtain podcast. And, and, and most of the time, people don't want to know what I'm doing behind the curtain. So I'll just say that. <laughs> but thank you for having me on. If, if you join us on the bonus section, uh, we may find out. Okay, wow. I need a moment to recover from Steven Cruiser. Deep breath. Okay. Reminder, for more of me with Steven Cruiser, check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash behind the curtain with Jeff Reynolds. If you like this podcast, the best way you can support me is by leaving a rating and subscribing. And don't forget to buy my book, Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires and Their Campaign to Undermine Democracy. Now it's on to the Oregon story of the week with Oregon Senate Republican Caucus Policy Analyst, Justin Brecht. Welcome back to the Behind the Curtain podcast with Jeff Reynolds. I'm here now with Justin Brecht of the Senate Caucus, Republican Caucus. Uh, he is here to talk about all the horrible things that are going on in Salem with the Democrat supermajorities and if there's anything that they can do to stop it. So welcome in, Justin. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. Uh, and uh, congratulations on your uh, new book. 
Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. uh, shameless plug behind the curtain inside okay. the uh, <laughs> inside the uh, network of progressive billionaires and their uh, campaign to undermine democracy. So go out and buy it now. So uh, <laughs> thanks for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. All right, all right. So uh, so you work in the uh, Senate Republican Caucus office. Uh, you were telling me that you have seven different committees that you're on. Yeah, that's right. So I, I'm there. I'm a policy analyst, um, and I help um, kind of look over the bills. And um, and so the committees I'm on, you know, a lot of them are dealing with a lot of the tax issues that were that are coming up. So I'm on finance and revenue, uh, environment and natural resources, veterans and emergency preparedness, joint transportation, um, joint student success, the joint carbon committee, and uh, uh, joint uh, tax expenditures. Right, and and so the Democrats have uh, super majorities in both houses, so uh, it's, it's an uphill slog for Republicans uh, to even stop what they're doing, right? That's right, yep. yeah. So um, it, it's already been kind of a controversial uh, session uh, on the House side and on the Senate side. Uh, we saw the thing with Senator Lincoln a couple of weeks ago, uh, mm-hmm. And then we saw the thing with uh, uh, on the House side this week with Bill Post and Mitch Greenlick uh, uh, curiously being removed from committees uh, for for bad behavior where it seemed like Bill Post was just sort of a sacrificial lamb, don't you think? You know, that was kind of that seemed like a tit for tat thing with uh, uh, Tina Kotek. So, you know, I mean, you look back and you see what. Bill said about he was inviting, you know, Oregon Firearms Federation to come to the Capitol. Right. Um, so, you know, I don't, you know, that's, that's, the whole thing is just uh, bizarre and it seems, you know, like that's almost some sort of retaliation. But, you know, you had Greenlight who was, you know, you know, talking, uh, you know, shushing uh, women. Republican women and, you know, going after, you know, just those kinds of things. And so, you know, I, I, I think, you know, Bill probably just has a target on his back over there. Yeah, that seems like it. And it's been, well, Mitch Greenwood's had a pretty bad reputation for a long time for uh, speaking poorly to anybody who disagrees with him and specifically women. Uh, So I think Tina Kotek realized she had to do something, even though she didn't want to. And it uh, kind of seems like uh, she threw Bill Post in just, you know, to uh, uh, just a, a, as, I don't know, vengeance or, or you know, <laughs> it, it's kind of a weird situation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm not total. I don't really know what's going on with all that. So yeah, you're on the other side of the uh, <laughs> the building. So uh, I talk a little bit about uh, Dennis Lincoln. Uh, he seems to have recovered a little bit. The, uh, Oregon Republican Party uh, put out a resolution in support of him, and you know he, he put out this statement that um, uh, raising cigarette taxes leads to um, a new class of uh, criminals, uh, and he used Eric Garner in New York City as as the example. The, the left kind of pounced on that as a um, you know an example of of racism, which made no sense whatsoever. He was just using that as an example. It didn't matter what skin color he was. Um, Yeah, so, you know, that's 
kind of what's going on with the there's a whole capital culture committee that's been going on right it's it's not something that i've been uh you know it's not something i'm on um but you know they've been going through and uh you know they've been talking about changing rules to kind of have different processes for a lot of people to do a lot of complaints um down there um you know because uh, there's different power dynamics that you know are there i think for the, the lobbyists to have been you know they they can get treated a certain way and that they don't appreciate by legislators sometimes um you know and it's you know it, it's not it's not something i'm you know i've really been dealt with very much because i'm i'm kind of stuck away into the back of the office you know reading, reading tax bills yeah yeah <laughs> well and, and and you're not a girl so you know you're not going to be treated uh, differently right yeah yeah <laughs> so. you know so yeah, you know i'm not on the ring <laughs> so i'm not going to mess with you infantry marine, yeah, so i don't think I don't really have that that issue, but, yeah. but you know, but it, it it is it is a problem, um, and so um, I've heard, I've heard from other people that have had that issue, and so yeah, so it, it really seems to me like this is the direct result of one party rule for so long that uh, they feel like they can get away with anything. Well, that that is certainly certainly an issue. I mean, after you know thirty thirty plus years of just being pretty much continuously in power in all all three branches of yeah, government yeah. Um, in Oregon, I mean, that's you're you're going to start running into things constantly like that. Where right. So, and the last time we, we had a tie in twenty ten, uh, thanks to the Tea Party, right. and. We had uh, Republican majorities in the 90s, but uh, it's for the most part, it's been, you know, at least since the 90s that uh, the Republicans have not been in power. So there's there's nothing to disrupt their control over the chambers in all aspects. Yeah, and I mean, and, and that's a big deal for uh, for people who might not know. Is I mean, the, the Senate president and the speaker, they're the ones that will appoint people to committees. And so um, that's that's a big deal about you know so there is no committee that uh, except for the veterans committee that doesn't have uh, you know th- at least three Democrats and two Republicans on it. The, as a matter of fact, the veterans committee is actually the only one that has uh, a Republican chair. Really, and why is that? Actually, you know, I'm not sure. It's just something that Courtney has always done. He's appointed a um, a Republican chair on the Veterans Committee, and there's two Democrats and two Republicans on that committee. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that actually. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's good. Um, it's not they're not a very powerful committee, unfortunately. But uh, no, no, they're not. But they they hear some pretty important bills for veterans and and yeah. emergency preparedness stuff. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. earthquakes and you know, uh, the military department here in Oregon. Sure, sure, yeah. Well, that was kind of an issue a few sessions ago, right? With um, Julie Parrish had that bill that she sponsored where it dedicated some money from the uh, Oregon State Lottery to veterans mm-hmm. issues. And then subsequently, Kate Brown put out a budget that cut out all of the stuff from the general fund and, and just relied on the lottery. So yeah, That's right. Yeah. 
so that 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 was pretty unfortunate. And I know there's been a few there's been a few veteran rallies down there that were yeah. that were over that. Man. Yeah. So kind of kind of a betrayal there of you know cutting from the general fund and then uh, at least in Kate Brown's proposed budget. Yeah, yeah. And then <clears throat> and then the legislature I think they put in I think usually the general fund was something around 10 million and then they put in 5. Right. Right. Um, when everything was said and done it was, it was I can't remember the exact numbers but it was something like that. Yeah, yeah. So um Let's talk the current session. I mean, there's a there's a raft of horrible bills going on right now. I mean, there's cap and trade. There's the gun grabbing oh, bills. Yeah. There's uh, a, a, a new and inventive taxes that nobody could have conceived before this session. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. What's 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 the worst stuff that you're seeing coming down, and what what are the chances it's all going to pass? Uh, well, hands down, right now, uh, the biggest thing that is uh, having my attention is cap and trade i mean that i mean the, the policy is just a, a monstrous nightmare i mean um and describe why well so the bill's like 100, 100 it's like 100 pages but it's a completely the program itself is really uh, complex so it's not it, it's not like a typical tax that um is just directly taxed onto like a product you know, they, they're setting up a whole scheme of, um, and the way I kind of think of it is it's, they're setting up kind of a, a commodity for carbon. So they, they have what's called um, allowances. And I, I think of it as like, you know, I give my kids allowances you know, for their chores, but this yeah. is for carbon. And um, you can trade these allowances um, and they give them a, I'm, they're going to give out, they don't know exactly how many they're going to be giving out, but that's actually the kind of the baseline here of how much you will, they're going to allow people to uh, emit greenhouse gas. Right. And you can trade those credits and, uh, and make money the, off of them. And, and that's the big, that's the big issue there is because once you can trade them, like on a secondary market, you know, some rich billionaire can come in to these auctions where they sell these allowances buy up a whole bunch and I mean a ton. Yeah. And then what they can do is they can basically, you know, and they can buy them for like $10 for every ton of like one allowance is going to equal one metric ton of carbon Okay. that you can pollute. And, um, even though, carbon even though carbon isn't pollution, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> right. And so then they, they somebody from even out of state can buy up a whole bunch that our businesses need mm -hmm. in order to be in compliance. And so they corner the market, they, they create a monopoly exactly. and then they uh, jack up exactly. the prices. Yeah, exactly. So they can stand to make millions, millions hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. off of right. these, this scheme. And so the Democrats are going to say in the bill itself, the Democrats put in there, this is not a tax. They don't even have to say that because it, they have the majority, the super majorities. They, they can pass whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know. And so, I mean, they just, you know, it, uh, it's funny that Bill itself is claiming it's not a tax, that's really a tax. And um, so, so that, that, that's kind of, that, that's one of the issues there of like the specific policy uh, part of it. But 
in the bill itself, the bill's talking about, I mean, and it's twice in the bill. We're in Section 7, and I can't remember the other section right now, but it's, it, it literally says they they want to redistribute, you know, they give a list of all the people they want to redistribute money to, and then they say, in order to change to an, a transition to an economic system that will help fight climate change. And I mean, they, they, they literally mean that. They want to transition to a new economic system. So this really isn't about the fact that Oregon contributes barely anything to the, the climate levels or the, the carbon levels in the uh, overall global atmosphere. This is all about being a model for other states and the, and the United States to completely transform its free market economy. Uh, that that's its stated purpose. You know, I mean, you can kind of draw those connections that are pretty easy when just reading through it. And I mean, the whole thing is just nothing but, hey, we're going to redistribute money here. We're going to redistribute it here. Uh, uh, we're going to uh, redistribute it to people who have been disproportionately uh, displaced by climate change. Oh, so this is the minorities and inner cities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and. And the funny thing about it is nowhere in the bill either will you, is there a definition of climate change, right? Of course. They, they can't even define that. But <clears throat> but the problem here is that they want to hook up this cap-and-trade scheme with California and, you know, Canada. Right. And the provinces in Canada. Right. And, and the, one of the things with that, too, is, you know, just like the same issue we've had with PERS for the contract, so you can't go back the legislature can't go back on contracts right so you start making these intergovernmental agreement compacts and contracts with california and all of them so they can also trade their allowances on these secondary markets oh in the same markets as ours mm -hmm. oh, that's right oh so <laughs> so you, you you really open Oregon really opens itself up to, uh, I mean, the potential of, of not being able to pull out of something that's really bad. Right. Oh, um, that's and, a very interesting point. Um, and so... Because uh, they have no idea what the consequences are going to be, right? They, right. They, yeah. So, and, 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 we don't, and we don't necessarily completely know all of it either from the bill because they purposefully made this really... A lot of it's ambiguous where they're like, hey... This agency, where, by the way, they're setting up a whole new agency to do well, this. Oh, of course. And um, that, this agency... We need to provide jobs, right? Yeah. <laughs> every agency in the state in this bill is also directed to, you know, further this bill's agenda. No, oh, brother. Every agency. So it's, it's uh, going to be every agency's primary focus not to do what it's supposed to do, but to contribute to this... To, to adopt administrative rules. Oh, so they don't, I don't know if it's the, it doesn't say their primary purpose, but it says every agency will be able to adopt rules in order to further this agenda. You were talking about the, the um, field visits that they're doing or the road show that they're doing for cap and trade. And uh, there's a, um, an event in Springfield and you were going to talk about what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. So there was the event in Springfield yesterday. And um, I was really thankful that a lot of our, our side showed up to uh, be against it, you know, and they showed up in yellow vests. And, <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, so it was, it was good. 
because, you know, in Salem, uh, when they have, hold up most all the hearings for committees in Salem, you know, they have all their people from Portland come down here, mm-hmm. you know, in their in their cars, and I'm, I guarantee they don't carpool. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, um, it was good Good that people showed up to that. There's actually enough, there's one going on right now in Medford, like, as we speak. And so I'm hoping there is another strong showing uh, from our side down there. And then Monday they're having kind of a remote session from, oh, I think it was uh, Coos Bay. I think they're they're having people meet at a town hall there, and then they're all meeting um, via, you know, Skype or something. Hmm. Um, And then Friday, this next Friday and Saturday, um, Fridays is going to be in the Dalles, and then Saturday they're going to have another one in um, Bend. Are there any, any of them in the metro area, or are they concentrating no. on the rural areas? No, they're, they're going out more towards the you know east, southern and eastern Oregon areas. Um, What's the strategy behind that? Uh, well, you know, part of it is um, they want to go hear from people who couldn't necessarily get there for these uh, hearings in Salem. And so they want to take it out there and hear from people that are, you know, more in those communities, which which I think is good. It also gives us more time uh, to handle the bill. But the one thing I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to happen here is they've got that, you know, the bill is currently 100 pages, but um, from what I understand, they're going to have a huge amendment almost a gotten stuff amendment for this. Really? Thing. Yeah. So, because I mean, the pro the program itself is just, um, uh, it, it's insane. Right. It's, it's so insane. And it's, I mean, uh, you know, some people might remember the Betsy program, the business energy tax credit program. Yeah. I was going to bring that up actually. It sounds like this is Betsy on steroids. <laughs> oh, big time. Oh, that, that's exactly, that's exactly right. And, um, uh, so, so explain what Betsy was. Uh, just for so the, Betsy, the Betsy, the like, Betsy, just kind of easy. The Betsy credit program, you, they issued credits, and people could end up getting these credits, businesses, and uh, they would sell them to people. You could buy them, and you, <clears throat> you could, uh, and they only issued so many in the statutes. Like the legislature, when they passed that, they could only issue so many of these credits. Well, the Department of Energy ended up issuing more than they were allowed in statute. And so when legislators, and I'll, I'll never forget it, Doug Whitsett, Senator Doug Whitsett at the time. Good man. Uh, y'all big time, yeah, he, he's great. And, and so is his wife, Gail. And um, he, he called, they called the Department of Energy in to come and say, hey, you know, and ask him, why did you guys issue uh, so many tax credits, these tax credits over what your statutory allowed? What, what administrative rules gave you the authority to go and issue more than you were allowed? And the Department of Energy told them, sorry, we can't tell you that's attorney-client privilege. Oh, come on. Really? DOJ, I, I swear to God. And, oh, my and God. To this, that's day, to, this day, we, to this day, we don't know. Wow. How can you avoid public scrutiny <laughs> by claiming an attorney-client privilege? That, that's like, that's Ken, outrageous. Tim Thatcher has a bill right now, and it was it it's based on uh, exactly Senator Whitsett's bill because as soon as they told 
Senator Whitsett, he made a bill that said that all agencies must disclose their um, uh, their legal advice from the Department of Justice right. when making administrative rules, or at least a summary of it. That's uh, that. I mean, that's Soviet style the bureaucracy. I mean, that's uh, one, that, and that's what I mean. That thirty, forty years of the, the the executive branch agency doing this, right? And um, and it, it's it, a lot of this is these administrative rules. So when so when this cap and trade bill completely leaves it to the agencies to make, I mean. Uh, ungodly amounts of administrative rules for to to, to put this thing in place. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt it's going to be one of the, it's going to make the Betsy program look good. Wow, wow, yeah. So um, talk a little bit about the the, the structure or you know the, the current uh, climate down there. Uh, I know the House is pretty much lost for any Republicans to be able to resist. Um, there's a little glimmer of hope in the Senate that maybe we get a Betsy Johnson or a Arnie yeah. Roblin to come over to our side, uh, something like that. I, uh, although Arnie's not running for re-election, right? You know, I, I'm not sure. If, uh, I'm, not, I'm really not sure if he is or not. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, but, but Betsy definitely. I'm I'm pretty sure Betsy's not going to be voting for for this. Okay. Okay. So that's one. So uh, it's currently um, eighteen to twelve. That gets it to seventeen to thirteen. Well, that well, the nice thing about that is that automatically makes it so that they don't have a supermajority vote. Okay. Which okay. It, so it doesn't. They don't. So even if they passed it, you know it. It, and the Supreme Court decides that you know the Oregon Supreme Court decides that it was a tax, then it shouldn't have been passed. Well, uh, can we rely on the Oregon Supreme Court to no. rule in that way? No. And then I, I imagine that they're going to say it's some sort of fee. Right. You know, right. The, these, well, it says in the statute it's not a tax, so therefore. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, the stuff. So, so we'll see what happens um, with that. But I mean, by far, that right now is, um, the, I think, one of the biggest policies uh, that's that's going on down there for sure. Now, of course, it has an emergency clause, so that makes oh, absolutely. it very yeah. unlikely that it's going to get to the <laughs> referendum, right? <laughs> well. Well, what what that ends up doing is it, you can get it to a referendum, but the program itself will already have been in place. Oh, really? So, Would uh, yeah, it take yeah. effect immediately? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, and they're they're automatically oh, take wow. money from the general fund to fund this. It's what they're doing is they're creating this. Uh, the, it's called the Carbon Policy Office, and they said they appoint the governor appoints a director to it, and then the director has pretty much unlimited ability to set up a bunch of divisions under the Carbon Policy Office, hire people, and they're you know they of course they don't specify how much money they're going to give these people from the general fund. So it's basically like the Oregon Health Association, where uh, it, it takes effect immediately. They start setting it up, and we we just can't put the genie back in the bottle. Well, well, we no, we we could, but that's the, that's the thing about the emergency clause is that it it puts it into this whole thing. As soon as it passes, it goes. As soon as the governor signs it, all it starts all rolling out. Um, whereas a typical bill that didn't have an emergency clause, you know, none of this program stuff would go into effect until January one of next year. I see. Uh, so, so that's it. Does it doesn't it just stifles the ability to get it on, you know, before the program goes in place for people to vote on it. So, and and then I don't know. I am I'm not entirely sure how um, 
how that's going to work out uh, with people uh, and getting enough signatures to put it on a ballot. And, and, and part of the other thing, too, about that, uh, and this is, this is a big one, and the Democrats don't know how to deal with this either in the bill, is that unlike California or Canada, Oregon's Constitution has any money, like monies that are raised from gas taxes have to be dedicated to fixing our roads, and they have to be dedicated to schools. Right. As like Article 9 and Article 8 of Oregon's Constitution. And um, that's a huge constraint because most of this is a gas tax. So like they're expecting like the first year to raise it 16 cents, and then in like five, it's it could be up to a dollar. And that's another figure we don't know. But but the problem is, is that they've set up this labyrinth of funds. So to kind of mask how the money is actually being spent right in the bill in the bill with uh, and so they're they're trying to say well we're going to send this money here and it's like well how much how much is this actually going to raise in the gas tax you know how much of it actually has to be dedicated and you know they don't they don't know <laughs> they have no idea and and that's so that's a big big issue because unlike california where they're like okay we're going to take uh, the money and revenue from these auctions that we get, and we're going to give it back to ratepayers and their gas bills, you know, and to, to offset, you know, to offset it. But and, and they have done that in California, but here, that's a big issue because you can't just give it back to the people you just took it from. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because, because it's dedicated. Message. It's yeah. dedicated because yeah. it, it actually is dedicated in the Constitution. So, right. so they, um, so they, they've been telling people we're going to give you all this money, and then it's like, well, how do you know that? You don't know how much money this is going to end up getting, and how much is dedicated here. And of course, you know, they leave it up to the administrative rules to make a lot of these rules for this stuff, and um, and now discuss after the fact we can't really right. do that and so yep. then they, they revise things after it's passed so mm-hmm. you have to pass it to know what's in it <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah so so this is the kind of stuff that makes uh, I, i've been claiming for years that oregon is the most corrupt state in the union because mm-hmm. uh in other states sometimes uh people get prosecuted for the crimes that they commit <laughs> here they get promoted you know and, and they, mm-hmm. they pull all this stuff and they they set up these gigantic bureaucracies to uh, to shield themselves from accountability. It, yeah. It's amazing what happens in Salem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, one of my friends has been calling the cap and trade thing the Sylvia Hayes tax. Yep, <laughs> you know, you know. that's it. That's exactly right. You know, uh, if, uh, you know, five years down the road, were she to uh, do what she did in 2014, she would skate, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and this is a huge pair. And then the unions, by the way, are all up in this bill. Oh, sure, uh, of course. Uh, I mean, I mean, they're they're even there helping make administrative rules already. In the bill, yeah. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Oversight on uh, projects that'll be spent. Um, oh, of course, yeah. And uh, it's a giant payoff <laughs> to the unions and jobs program for union members. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and, and it's always funny that in the way they go about like exempting certain industries that are in Democrat districts, like Intel. Oh yeah, right. And Nike. Uh, it, and, it, yeah. it, it doesn't say anywhere in the bill. Hey, Intel will be exempt from this carbon uh, cap and trade. You know, you, you know what they do is they say any any business that um, 
uh, emits, and then they name the specific gases, you know, with long names that I don't even want to try to, <laughs> try, to try to say them. Yeah. Um, and it only, only those gases are for Intel. Right, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're exempt from that, even though it might be 40 times worse than anything yeah. else that's going on. <laughs> so so I kept hearing Intel got exempt, and I read the bill like two or three times. I'm like, where the, where the hell are they exempted? You know? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's in the gases, the very specific <laughs> gases. So, okay. You know, it's just kind of underhanded things like that. And yeah. I mean, it's it's just set, the whole thing's just set up to be ripe for, for corruption and just to. You know, well, that's why they pass these bills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, let, let's talk real quick. I'm uh, running out of time here, but um, what do you think the chances are of uh, them stealing our kicker and then uh, <laughs> essentially repealing Measure Five? Uh, well, you know, we actually just had uh, hearings. So let me take the the property tax one first. They they've got they just had hearings on Measure Five and Measure Fifty mm-hmm. um, the other day in Finance and Revenue, and you know, all a bunch of the city your you know your local people, the cities, the counties, they they want nothing more than to get rid of that. And so there there was a whole bunch of testimony there <coughs> about that. But um, the only way that the legislature can't just do it, and that's something that actually would have to go to voters. Okay. So they would ha- they would have to put that as a and the and I it, back in the, when when they passed those in the nineties, it was the bigger cities who passed them, coincidentally. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it was the Portland area and all of them who who really did that limit there. Yeah. If you ever talk to uh, Jason Williams of the Taxpayers Association, and he still gets mm-hmm. called to this day. Uh, thanking him, you know, from little old ladies on fixed incomes, uh, thanking yeah. him for helping save their home because if the uh, taxes shot up so much, they they would lose their home. Yeah, I, I mean, the Democrats want to get rid of it; they just don't know how to do it because they would they know they have to take it to the voters, and it's voters that are in their own districts, right? Know? Right, and so and they'd be screwed. Yeah, so they don't they don't know how to, and I mean, that was the big thing in the committee, you know, they, we sat sat around and listened to it for like an hour of all these people and why they want to get rid of it, and, mm-hmm. and then just at the very end, you know, Senator Boquist was like, well, I'm going to talk about the grilling room, it was all you Portland people who passed this, and, <laughs> and so you guys have the issue of, uh, you know, trying to deal with this, but, um, so that, and then say, it's the same thing with the kicker, they would have to, they would have to, um, take that to a vote the people mm-hmm. if they want to change that so i think those are harder policies for the democrats to go after what what they are doing um and this is also really complicated tax wise is they are working on uh, disconnecting from the federal tax code right and by doing so, they want to get rid of a lot of deductions that Oregonians get. So <clears throat> that could be a, a ton of things. And and by doing that, they could raise, you know, well over a billion, two billion dollars by getting rid of certain deductions. They're already kind of starting to play around with that. With and those. that's one of those things that they're going to argue isn't an actual tax. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's a loophole that they're closing. And we can rely on the Oregon Supreme Court probably to uh, side with them, right? Well, that's where we just had this with uh, uh, 1528 last short session where they were messing with the um, uh, 
the pass-through entities, the small businesses, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. LLCs, yep. and S corps that they were getting rid of <clears throat> a lot of this stuff for because you can claim it on the federal, but then the state is like, no, we're not, and that's that's for people who don't know, like the disconnect. Like usually we roll over with whatever the federal government's done, mm-hmm. and it makes it easier for a lot of the accountants and everybody to uh, do it, and that's why you only have to have one W two. Right, right. And now you're going to have to have two right. um, pretty soon. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> and so, so all the accountants just hate, hate it. Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it really does mess with them um, hard and makes it way harder for them to do their job um, by disconnecting. But you, I think you're going to, we're, we're already, they're already talking about doing a number of different things uh, in the Finance and Revenue Committee on this. Um, and uh, that's exactly right. They, there is a, uh, a case right now, actually. It's going to, Senator Boquist sued them. Oh, <laughs> really? Like, yeah, yeah, you sued them over 1528 because they passed that last short session without a uh, a supermajority. You know, it's bringing... Oh, so he's bringing up the constitutionality issue of the mm-hmm. three-fifths of majority. Right, yeah, but by getting rid of this deduction, it's clearly bringing in revenue to the state. But it's not a tax. Right, right, but it's not a tax. We're just you know, closing the loophole. Yeah, so yeah. that that's another one, and and then the other. So then the other major one, and this is absolutely being talked about as something they are really working hard on, is a gross receipts tax bringing in two billion. Well, didn't they already pass that with Measure sixty seven? Uh, or ninety seven was when they put on the gross receipts that failed. Right, right. That failed, and now they're talking about doing this in the student success committee um, <laughs> um, for you schools. Mean the teacher union payoff committee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so they so they're talking about that one right now. So you you have multiple things that are going on. So the cap the cap and trade there's eliminating deductions and this gross receipts that some or some version of a gross receipts um, that they're they're talking about going for and those to me right there the three um, tax issues that are most likely to go through okay all right and that, and that, I mean between between those we're talking about a well well over three billion dollars Wow. And our all funds budget is what, 73, 74? Yeah, it's something like that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, that's a lot. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, last question here. Uh, we'll wrap it up, but I want to um, first say uh, thank you for coming on the show. And um, uh, me. I mean, it's a real honor because you're kind of a, uh, you've turned into a minor local legend. Uh, you've, you're a, <laughs> Uh, a local hero, Justin Brecht, stopped a hate crime in Salem in a convenience store. Talk about what happened there. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I rolled up, uh, you know, to, to a little a mini store, and this was maybe five blocks from the Capitol. And yeah. uh, it was uh, it was the very first day of session. Yeah. <laughs> and I pull in, and you know, this this guy was in there. He's arguing with uh, the Indian um, shake kind of guy. Yeah, um, and he's older, yeah, Sikh. And yeah. He, you know, he's got a beard, you know, down to his stomach, and, mm. he, and you know, the guy, and then, yeah. He, yeah, yeah. And he, the guy comes a gun out, you know, just pissed off. He kicks a few things around, kicks open the door, and I'm as I'm coming in, I'm like, you know, what's going on? You know, and so I, I didn't knock my car, and so I was like looking out, see what he does, and he just sits there and throws a couple dollar bills all over the. Uh, parking lot like a really small parking lot and um, mm. 
And so I, I get one of them, and I'm out, and you know, I'm going in my car, and he's like, hey, you know, hey, man, buy me some cigarettes and joint paper for my weed. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do any of that for you. I'm not buying any of you anything. And he's like, you know, and then he starts yelling at me and, like, swearing at me. And I'm, he's like, oh, you know, he's like, I'll kick your ass. And I'm like, I'm just I'm, I'm just walking in my car. I get in, you know, I'm, 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 I'm backing out. He's still yelling at me at the top of his lungs, and the owner walks out, and I can see the, you know, the owner's, you know, he's, gesturing him to leave you know yeah. go away go away and i'm pulling around i'm, I'm walk kind of watching what's going on the guy kind of walk, he walks up to the guy grabs him grabs him by his beard starts punching him holy and kicking him and, and rips, oh my God. rips him throws him down to the ground like he's yanking on his beard downward and throws him to the ground wow you know, and, yeah and i was like okay that ain't happening you know and so i pulled over again and i got out and there's there's a whole bunch of people kind of standing around and then another guy came up with me and you know we ended up uh heckling with the guy and we ended up you know holding him down and uh until the cop the cops came the whole thing was just bizarre and wow um, but yeah, and, and then I, I stopped by. The, I still talk to the the owner there of the store, and he, he's doing good now. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, let's so. show him some love. What's, what's the name of the store? I'll, uh, next time I'm in San Juan, I'll stop in. <laughs> I think it's Twelfth Twelfth Street Market. Okay. Okay. Um. So yeah, it's it's right right past the hospital and past uh, Mission Mill and the Ram. It was right there, right down Twelfth Street. Could only be more than five blocks uh, down Twelfth Street after you go from state street right on yeah. okay yeah well good on you uh thank you very much for uh, your service to your community and to your country you're uh, uh, mm -hmm. a marine and uh, uh did you did you see combat or uh yeah i was a i was a 0311 in the marine corps and that that's um, a, a rifleman so i was in um uh, you know fallujah in 2004 oh, wow. and 2006 that must have been fun um, yeah, so that yeah, so that was actually the biggest battle since Way City in Vietnam. Right. And so uh, yeah, so that was so I did my four years and got out. <laughs> All right, and you're uh, relatively well adjusted and uh, yeah. still serving your community. So uh, good right. on you, man. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thanks for checking out the Behind the Curtain podcast. I want to thank my buddy Brian Futch for providing me the theme song "I Am America," produced by Cass Anawadi.
ocean There's no price for his country He wouldn't pay Like so many others He fought for the cause With great devotion Just like his daddy His eyes say it loud and clear I am America This land, my land, America I know one day after I'm gone Someone will carry this dream along Someone will carry this dream along And that's what made